Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Folks, the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast has a tremendous guest today, one of the leaders in the college basketball industry. We have Jeff Eisenberg from Yahoo Sports College Basketball Aficionado and Writer. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Eisenberg. He joins us today for a few minutes to talk about the incredible start to the college basketball season. Jeff, thanks so much for a few minutes. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very good, and, and we're off to a flying start here. Uh, so many great things going on in college basketball. Let's get rid of some of the stuff off the court first. Uh, you wrote a great article, of course, recently uh, summarizing what's going on with UCLA and the players that are over there. Talk a little bit about that, what you're hearing about the three players that were involved in, in the shoplifting over in China, and where do you think they're headed, and, and sort of maybe the struggles that UCLA had last night as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a situation where an incredibly foolish, incredibly ill-timed decision, uh, you know, to shoplift uh, in a country where, uh, you know, defendants' rights aren't really the same as what we have here is going to cost those players dearly and already has and also could cost UCLA dearly, um, you know, both from a reputation and image standpoint, but also on the court too. Uh, You know, none of those three guys were going to be starters for UCLA this year, but all three of them were going to be impact players off the bench, especially Cody Riley, who would have been UCLA's third big man. And without all three of them, UCLA doesn't have much depth. Um, and I, I think I don't think that that'll play a role in the decision for how long their suspension lasts, or at least I certainly think it shouldn't. But I do think it's something to watch with UCLA going forward. You know, their their third big man right now is a guy who you wouldn't have expected to get off the bench. They don't have much shooting. They don't have any front court depth at all. Um, and obviously, I think that can be an issue for UCLA. So if you were going to project them, I don't know, third or fourth in the conference going in, uh, you know, to Pac-12 play, I, I think that uh, that might be optimistic if these guys miss the season. Now, if they're reinstated in time for conference play, obviously, uh, that changes things. But just, just kind of something to watch with UCLA and, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the drama of how long they will be suspended is something that's going to hang over that program for uh, the next month or two at least. And Jeff, they had a little bit of a test last night with Central Arkansas, didn't they? Yeah, and that's probably not a great, great sign. You probably probably don't want to be giving up 101 points to a uh, a program that's lost 20 or more games for the last five years and uh, has never, never in its Division One history finished above 275th in Ken Palm uh, and uh, lost by 41 to the only other Division One opponent it's faced this year. So, look, I mean, Central Arkansas shot the lights out in that game. Uh, you know, they, they aren't a terrible offensive team, but come on. I mean, like this UCLA team has more potential defensively than last year's team did. They're more athletic. They are really young. Obviously, it's going to take some time. They're very freshman heavy in addition to uh, Thomas Welsh and Aaron Holiday, the uh, two returning stalwarts from last year. So, again, I understand it's going to be a work in progress. But, uh, yeah, being taken to overtime and uh, by Central Arkansas and needing kind of a bailout foul call in the final second just to get there, that, that was not UCLA's finest performance, certainly. You know, let's stay in the Pac-12 because last year, you know, we're on the East Coast here. My partner and I, we, we have hashtag basketball narcolepsy. We stay up. We watch the games. But a lot of people out here don't see necessarily the Pac-12 games as great as they are. Last year, of course, 
Oregon, UCLA, Arizona, fantastic teams across the board. This year, it seems like it's going to be more of an Arizona-USC feel. So UCLA, a lot going on there. Not sure if they're quite in the upper echelon there. How do you see the Pac-12 shaping out? I mean, Arizona is one of the teams I have in my final four. USC, though, certainly big win last year against SMU. They got hot, Benny Boatwright. How do you see it sort of shaking out in the Pac-12 this year? Well, I, I think the FBI investigation is is obviously going to play a role in all of this. If, if you tell me that everyone has a full roster going forward, aside from uh, you know DeAnthony Melton sitting down at, at uh, USC, then I, I agree with you. I think Arizona's the team to beat in the league and one of the best rosters in the country. Um, and I certainly think that this would be Sean Miller's best chance at a Final Four. You know, maybe you could argue the year that Brandon Ashley got hurt a few years ago. I think it was 13, 14. Uh, yeah, good one. Good one. Yep. Yeah, the, this roster is probably pretty comparable with that, I would say. But like that duo of Alonzo Trier and DeAndre Ayton is nasty. And they haven't even gotten uh, Raleigh Alkins back, who I, I think has NBA potential on the wing and could be their best perimeter defender. So I, I love Arizona's roster if you tell me that the, uh, you know, the FBI investigation has no further impact on their team. I, I think that's certainly... Uh, to be decided, but Arizona and USC are the two best rosters in the league. USC is, uh, you know, right there with Arizona. I still like Oregon as the third best team in the league. Um, I, I, I know they lost everyone, but uh, Peyton Pritchard from last year, but they have a lot of talent coming in. And if Dana Altman has proven anything at Oregon, it's that that team, no matter how many guys they lose, they reload year after year, and they get better over the course of a season. So I'm sure they'll take some losses early in the year as they uh, kind of try to figure things out. But uh, I, I like Oregon going forward as a strong third in that conference. I still think UCLA can be an NCAA tournament team and a pretty good one, especially if they get back the suspended players. And then the question for the Pac-12 is, is there any depth in the league this year? And um you know, going into the year, I, I thought Stanford might be that team that jumps into the NCAA picture from uh, NCAA tournament picture from the middle tier. After a week into the season, I'm less confident in that, but I like what I've seen so far from Arizona State and also from Utah. Yeah, great point about Oregon as well, because Troy uh, Troy Brown seems like a real special player up there. So I think they have some good things going, and, and and Altman has proven that he's had he's been able to make a run even when he only has the three returning players. I, I think that's a real valid point. Another thing that you tweeted out earlier this week, Evan Daniels had put something out about the one and done rule, and that it looks like the one and done rule may be eliminated. You know, this was an argument that I had with my partner. We had Sam Vecini on as well. I think there's something to be said, Jeff, for the players being mentally and emotionally ready to jump to to the NBA. And and I think that's something that's often poo-pooed. They say, listen, if you have to get money for your family and you have an opportunity, you should take it. And, and, I, and I agree with that. But I think there's a lot of people like Lenny Cook, which was a situation I was sort of close to, a player that didn't work out, you know, who often leave and make that jump. And I, I was welcoming Miles Bridges returning. Give your thoughts on the one and done rule, what you think is going to happen from it and, and, and where you think is it's headed. Because I see pluses and minuses that the kids who don't make it are not often talked about. Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire podcast just on this, but uh, in a uh, in a nutshell, I guess how I feel is this: I I don't think that it's fair to tell you know the next LeBron James or the next Kobe Bryant or whoever it is that they basically have to play one year in college before they go to the NBA. And I, I get it; I know they can go overseas for a year, they could go to the D League, but whatever. You're you're limiting their earning potential after high school, and I, I just don't think that's right. With that said, 
I think if you eliminate the one and done rule, you're hurting both college basketball and the NBA. Um, you're hurting the NBA, obviously, because, uh, you know, one, these kids are going to be less ready when they get to the NBA and two, less people are going to know who they are. College basketball is the best marketing vehicle that the NBA has for some of these young rookies. Like Lonzo Ball was not a household name after high school, whereas Lonzo Ball, by the time he got to the Lakers, was like a ready-made star for the NBA in terms of a, uh, a marketing standpoint. And there's numerous other examples of that. For college basketball, I, I think college basketball benefits from having a year of Marvin, Marvin Bagley, having a year of Michael Porter Jr. You know, like who's paying attention to Missouri if Michael Porter Jr. isn't there? Like yep. outside yep. of the, uh, that market, nobody is. But on the other hand, and Rob Doster made this point on Twitter last night, and I thought it was a uh, it was a fair one. If the new rule gives you a little bit more time with college basketball's best players, and I understand that that means you won't have the same talent in the sport, but let's say that the best players stick around like Miles Bridges did, and it's you know a two and three year thing as opposed to one and done for the most recognizable players in the sport. I do think that can be advantageous to college basketball. So in general, my feeling is, is that it's fair if the one and done is eliminated, but not good for the sport as a whole. But that would be the one caveat I would have. Very fair. And now let's turn our attention to the court. I've been so impressed with Michigan State, with the group they have coming back. I really thought, Jeff, they were going to beat Duke. I know Izzo struggles against Krzyzewski, but I thought everything had aligned up here. I was a little surprised, especially when Bagley went out of the game, that Duke was able to win that game. But of course, Grayson Allen had a night and that was tremendous. Give us your thoughts on on Duke and Michigan State. I, I just see Tom Izzo having a group of players with bridges. He's got a deep bench now. He, he has Ben Carter back. He ends up having Gavin Schilling back. They have Nick Ward inside. I just think they have it all. I really do. And I would be shocked if they didn't make the final four. But also, I'm impressed with how quickly those freshmen at Duke has sort of come together. Bagley, Duval had a good a good game. And even though Gary Trent struggled in this game, he had a big three at the end and he had gotten off to a great start. So just a little quick thoughts on Duke and Michigan State and, and that great opening game that we had. Yeah, if you had told me that Marvin Bagley uh, was only going to play, uh, you know, eight ten minutes uh, in that game, I, I would have changed my pick going in, and I would have picked Michigan State. So I, I admit I was surprised too uh, at how that played out. Um, you know, to start off with Duke, I mean, how impressive it, how impressive is it that you're a freshman dominated team? So theoretically, you have upside. You're missing the number one pick in the draft or top three pick or whatever you want to call Marvin Bagley. And you still beat, you know, arguably the second best team in the country. I mean, I certainly think Arizona's in that conversation, too. Uh, but, yeah, that was highly impressive. And, you know, obviously the headliner was Grayson Allen. And, I, I, like, I don't know about this redemptive narrative and all this stuff. But I certainly think performances like that will, at the very least, shift the focus away from, uh, you know, his uh, his previous issues and put it more on his uh, his basketball ability. So I think that was big for him. Um, I, I was impressed with Trayvon Duvall. I mean, I think that the the biggest question for Duke going into this season was the point guard position. We saw how many issues they had last year at, with it, and uh, Trayvon Duvall looked great in that game. I think his outside shot is still a big question mark, but even if he can just get into the lane and create for himself and for others, I think that's a huge help for Duke. Um, and then obviously, like the way they out rebounded Michigan State was really impressive. And to do it again with Bagley barely playing was, uh, uh, you know, a, a sign that uh, the Duke, I don't know if Duke is a cut above, but Duke is clearly, I think, a, uh, 
um, you know, a, a legitimate number one team in the country right now. And as for Michigan State, I, I really like that roster. They have great front court depth. Um, I think the question a little bit is the guard play. Um, the only other thing I would say, I, I guess I'd like to see how Miles Bridges does at the three instead of the four. He just was such a matchup problem last year at the four. And I wonder if, uh, you know, being guarded by opposing wings might be a little bit tougher for him. Certainly Duke's zone gave him a little bit of trouble. It, it seemed to turn him into more of an outside shooter rather than a slasher in that game. Jeff, let's stay in the Big Ten. One of the teams that my partner and I disagree on the most in terms of where we see them ending up is Purdue. The Big Ten had been down a little bit. People had talked about last year coming into it. The Big Ten isn't where it necessarily is. And this year, I think it's the opposite. You have Michigan State. Minnesota looks tremendous. They had a bit, they had a, a very big win at Providence, played well. Purdue, of course, I think looks solid, but Northwestern is also going to be good, although they lost at home to Creighton, which is a little surprising to me. And I also think that John Beeline always finds a way to get it together. My partner has Purdue go into the Final Four. I understand that they have the Edwards brothers. Edwards and Edwards is a law firm. I think there's a billboard out there with that on it. And, and I certainly like the job that Matt Painter does, but I'm not sure that Isaac Haas can really fill that Caleb Swanigan role. And I think it's just going to be a little different this year. I like Purdue. I, I just don't know if they're final four good. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I don't know if I'd have Purdue in my final four, but I, I'd probably fall in the middle of you guys, it sounds like. like Going into the season, I, I thought Purdue was clearly going to be the second best team in the, in the Big Ten. Um, and I, I thought they were... I don't know, top 15 good. And, and I really liked what I saw from Minnesota the other day. So I, I might back off the clear cut number two in the conference, but I still think Purdue is a top 15 quality team. Uh, you know, I thought Carson Edwards would be a, a breakout guy this year. And we've seen that a little bit. Obviously they're going to look different without Swanigan and that's going to hurt a little bit, but I mean, they still have every other piece back from a really good team last year. And I think that there are guys who are able to kind of collectively fill that void. Uh, you know, I th- I don't think Isaac Haas is going to be Caleb Swanigan. Don't get me wrong, but I think he can, uh, can do a lot on the defensive end and can kind of, you know, be in, be a, uh, more of an impact guy rather than a, uh, just a piece this year. Um, and, and then I also think Vince Edwards benefits from playing more four uh, than he, than he did last year. And I, I like the guards, especially Edwards. So um, I, I think the big 10 is deep behind Michigan state. I'm not sure if there's a team that can challenge Michigan state, but if there is, I, I think it's probably either Purdue and Minnesota. And I wouldn't be surprised to see either of those teams in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So we sit here and we do our our predictions, right? And we talk about who we think is going to make the final four. And it's also matchup dependent and seedings and all this stuff. So it's really just done for conversation pieces. But if you think back to the to the tournaments, there's always a surprise team, right? Whether it's Syracuse a couple of years ago, last year, of course, was South Carolina. So I feel like you have to go a little bit outside the box when you make your predictions. One of the teams that I like that I actually told my partner last night is going to the final four is Cincinnati. I really like what they have. They have everyone back. I thought they were going to beat UCLA last year. Love what Mick Cronin's done. And I feel, Jeff, like sometimes there's an ascension. There's a team that sort of cut their, you know, put their hard work together and they battle and battle. Then they make that leap. And I see Cincinnati making that leap this year. Am I nuts? No, I love Cincinnati. (laughs) I mean, like if you were, if you, if you told me before the season, uh, you know, give me a team outside the top 10 that can make the final four, that that would have been my choice. Cincinnati and and to a slightly lesser extent, I really like Xavier too. I think they're a little, uh, my partner's got Xavier. Very good. Yes. Very good. I I just, I like both those teams a lot, but like to me with Cincinnati, the thing 
thing is this, like, you know, for years, they've been an elite, elite defensive team that couldn't score. And so, you know, they, they would play, you know, 53, 51, 55, 52, whatever it might be. And like, they just didn't have any upside because eventually they would run into somebody who was more talented than, than, than them. And I, I don't think that's true anymore. I mean, they made a huge uh, uh, step forward offensively last year. And then this year, you return many of those same pieces and add Kane Broom, the uh, Sacred Heart transfer, who averaged 23 a game, uh, uh, you know, at uh, at a lower level. I, I just I like the pieces the pieces that they have. So if that uptick offensively continues and even improves a little bit more, and they can stay at the same level defensively, which I, I don't think would be a huge surprise. Um, I, I could definitely see Cincinnati taking a, a big step forward from, you know, a team that was clearly a top 30 program, top 20 some years, but wasn't really a final four caliber program to one who I think will challenge Wichita State in the uh, American Athletic Conference this year. And, you know, if they got the right draw and if they're playing well and they're healthy at the right time, I don't think it would be a shock to see them in a final four. Yeah, it just made me feel a heck of a lot better about my pick. Uh, Jeff, I want to be, you know, certainly aware of your time here, but we'll finish up here with a, with a little rapid fire. I'm just going to give you a, a couple quick, you know, comments here on some things that we've been talking about on the podcast. Some of our listeners have emailed about and get your thoughts. Uh, the first one here is Gonzaga versus St. Mary's. St. Mary's received almost all of the first place votes except for one, which is probably from Randy Bennett, right? Because he can't vote for his own team. People are sort of assuming that St. Mary's is going to take that step this year in the WCC. I was on St. Mary's last year, had them as one of my final four teams, but I find that when Jock Landell gets into foul trouble, they are very beatable by almost any team. They had the trouble against Texas Arlington at home. What are your thoughts, Gonzaga versus St. Mary's? Is this really their time to step forward and and to, to go ahead at Gonzaga? Like them both, think they're both top 20 teams. Uh, I'd still stick with Gonzaga. um, And for a couple reasons. Uh, One, like, yeah, Yes, Gonzaga lost a lot off of a team that might have been the best team in the country for most of last season and, uh, you know, obviously made their first Final Four. But they returned four other top eight players from that team, including some impact guys. Uh, and then they have some young players who are ready to step forward. I mean, Rui Hachimura, who is a uh, an NBA prospect from Japan, that breakout season is coming. And whether it's this year or next year, you know, time will tell. But like he is a a an NBA prospect who barely played for that team last year. And they had a couple other guys who redshirted and sat out last year. And you know, if we've learned anything from Gonzaga over the years, it's that uh, you know guys who redshirt in, at that program tend to develop. Uh, um, and so I, I, I like what that program has. I think Jonathan Williams is ready to be a go-to guy. I think Josh Perkins is ready to assume that, uh, um, you know, primary ball handler role that uh, maybe he wasn't two years ago. So I still think Gonzaga is really good. Um, and then St. Mary's, I, I mean, I think they're going to take even a bigger step forward offensively this year, which is scary because they were so efficient last year. What I worry about is whether they'll be quite as good defensively, having lost, you know, maybe their top two defenders from uh, last year's team. Joe Rahan was probably the best perimeter defender in that league. And, uh, you know, I I just wonder if they're going to be able to replace that. So I still think St. Mary's is top 25 good. I think it's going to be a great conference race between those two teams. But I'd go with Gonzaga if you made me choose. I did this thing with uh, Joe Lenardi's Bracketology a few months ago where I said if the exact same seeds won out in the tournament last year as did with this one, who would be in the final four? I had Nevada 
in the final four. My partner's a huge Nevada fan, Jordan Caroline. I saw them the other night against Rhode Island. Unfortunately, you know, EC Matthews got hurt, but that was a tremendous game. What are your thoughts on them moving forward? The Mountain West, people are down on the Mountain West, but I think Nevada's a dangerous team this year. Yeah, I'm still down on the Mountain West, but I'm high on Nevada. Uh, I think Eric Musselman has done an outstanding job uh, building that program around transfers. Uh, Jordan Caroline's probably the best player in that league, or certainly one of them. I think that uh, the uh, two NC State transfers, the brothers, are both impact players at that level. Um, I, I just, I, I think that they've been building towards this year. I think like last year was probably a year ahead of schedule for for them to make the NCAA tournament, and part of that was that you know they've done a great job there. Part of that was that the league was down. This year, I think Nevada is clearly the class of the Mountain West. Um, and I, I think that that's a program that can uh, can win a game in the NCAA tournament and, uh, you know, be kind of a, a surprise type program this year. Jeff, is Alabama making the NCAA tournament? Is Colin Sexton going to play all year? That's if my does, question. I'd say, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so, I guess. Like it, it, the Braxton Key injury certainly doesn't help either, but... Um, yeah, if you, if you made me bet, I'd, I'd take Alabama to make the NCAA tournament and probably finish, I don't know, somewhere in the top five in that league, I would say. Last one I'll give you, ACC, outside of Duke, there's Notre Dame, there's North Carolina, there's Miami, maybe Louisville, a lot of talent, but of course the coaching issues. Handicap those for us. Where do you see them finishing in the ACC? Man, that's tough. Um I like I like North Carolina uh, out of that four. I think um, again, it's really close. Like I think all those teams are, are pretty similar in terms of their level. But like you know, North Carolina's backcourt is great and it's, it's experienced. And you know, Joel Berry and Theo Pinson have uh, you know been there and, and done this a, a few times. So if they can just get Luke May to continue to play at this level and get Cameron Johnson back healthy, and then just get one of those freshman big men to be like competent for you know 20 minutes a night. I like Carolina. I think that that's kind of a team that might be a little bit overlooked in terms of a Final Four contender going into this season. I like Notre Dame. Uh, it would be great if uh, Gibbs emerges as kind of a uh, you know a, a third scorer and a third impact guy to go along with, obviously, uh, Matt Farrell and Bonzi Colson. I worry about Louisville's outside shooting. Um, I, I wonder if they have enough to be elite this year, even though I still think they'll be very good. And give Miami a little bit of time. Like There's a lot of young pieces that need to, to fit together, but that might be the most talented roster that uh, – Jim has had there, and I, I certainly think that they'll be a contender in, in league play. Jeff, my partner and I are trying to get a tailgate going as big as possible, like a Woodstock for the PK-80 tournament that's coming up. So uh, you must be excited for that as well. I want you to know you have an open invitation to join our, our, our PK-80 East Coast uh, you know, viewing party here. That, that's going to be a great tournament, huh? Oh, it's good. Gonna be it's gonna be terrific. It might be the best field of any preseason tournament we've had in a uh, a long time. Uh, I I don't know if I agree that it has quite a Sweet Sixteen feel. There there aren't a lot of Sweet Sixteens with Portland and Portland State in it, but uh, you know <laughs> certainly those certainly those semifinals and finals in that uh, that tournament are going to be terrific. Folks, I got to thank Jeff Eisenberg here. Please give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff Eisenberg. Yahoo Sports, phenomenal writer, college basketball. We really thank you, Jeff, for a few moments here. We'll be following your writing. It's going to be a great season. It's off to a fantastic start, and and we're honored to have you here on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. It was fun. 